of King Josiah, and so I thought it uh, was appropriate to divide our reading into two. So we'll be reading uh, just now from 2 Kings chapter 22, and then we'll look at uh, most of chapter 23, or we'll read most of chapter 23 a little bit later on, and then look at both chapters together when it comes uh, to the sermon. So 2 Kings chapter 22, let us all hear God's word. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosgath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azalea, son of Meshalam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king, And reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom the son of Tikvah, son of Hahas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, 
the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. And so we come to the second half of our uh, reading for this evening. 2 Kings chapter 23, reading through to verse 30. So let us hear God's word. Then the king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and round Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the host of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, 
and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the man of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be, let no man move his bones. So they left his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, 
And all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Tonight's passage describes a time of great reformation that took place in the days of King Josiah. Josiah reigned from 640 B.C. through to 609. And in our passage this evening, we learn at least three truths. We probably learn many other truths, but at least three truths. Not just about Josiah's great reformation, but also about reformation in general. And let me just state up front what those truths or those lessons are. They are as follows. First of all, we learn here that God's goodness is the cause of reformation. That particularly comes through in chapter 22. Secondly, we learn that God's word lies right at the heart of reformation. That's most of chapter 23. But then towards the end of our passage, we learn another truth. The third lesson is that God's glory is the goal of reformation. First then, we see this truth from our passage tonight, that God's goodness, his providential goodness, is the cause of reformation. This is made very clear to us in chapter 22, and it's made very clear to us in two main ways. First of all, we see God's goodness to his people in their discovery of the book of the law. Repairs are being made to the temple, and it's while this is happening that Hilkiah the high priest finds the book of the law, verse 8. He says to Shaphan, the secretary to the king, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now there is some debate about whether this book of the law means the whole of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law of of Moses, or, or whether he just found a part of it. At the very least... Certainly judging from what Josiah says and from what Josiah does later on, we can be certain that the book of Deuteronomy uh, was discovered. But it may well be that he discovered the whole um, book of the law. Either way, the key point for us to note is that it was entirely in God's good providence that Hilkiah found the book of the law. This book of the law had apparently lain hidden for a long time, maybe even for centuries. 
And this possibly explains why the nation had at times fallen into such serious idolatry. They, they did not have the word of God, the written scriptures to teach them or to correct them. But then, out of the blue, Hilkiah just happens to come across it. There is absolutely no suggestion whatsoever that he was looking for it. The way that the text is written indicates that as the workmen are carrying out repairs on the temple, so Hilkiah just happened to find uh, the book of the law. Perhaps the workmen had removed some, some furniture during their repairs and then all of a sudden something, something caught Hilkiah's eye. And he discovered that 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 something was was nothing less than God's written scriptures. And it's worth just pausing there and noting the fact that this surely teaches us that sometimes God will bring into your life a most unexpected and most beneficial providence. When you're just getting on with your day-to-day work as these workmen were in the temple. When you're going about your daily labours, sometimes God will, as it were, surprise you when you least expect it with a very sweet token of his grace. And perhaps he does that far more often than we realise. If only we had eyes to see God's good providence towards us. And this is... Clearly what happens here in this passage, this is what he does for his people. He supplies them with what you might call an out-of-the-blue providential kindness. And it is no exaggeration to say that this divinely directed discovery of the book of the law unleashes wholesale reformation in the nation. And then the second aspect of God's goodness that we see in this chapter is the king that God has given to his people, King Josiah. Now remember that the nation had suffered almost 60 years of unremitting evil under Manasseh for the most part and then for a couple of years under Amon. 60 years they'd suffered great evil under the rule of these two kings. But here we see that although children do so often follow in the footsteps of their father or fathers, that's not always the case. Here we see very clearly that God's grace is far greater than our genetic or biological heritage. And Josiah is far greater than his immediate ancestors. Indeed, as we see right at the start of our passage this evening, Josiah is just about the best king that Judah ever had. We're told in verse 2 that he matches the Davidic ideal of kingship. After David, every king of, of Israel, of Judah and Israel, was measured against David. David was the standard. And very few reach that ideal 
Hezekiah did. I think King Asa did. And so too did Josiah. He did, verse 2, what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And we see just what a good king Josiah was in the way that he then responds to the discovery of the book of the law. This is where we really see that the heart of Josiah. We're told that Shaphan, his secretary, reads God's words to him. And what is Josiah's first response to the reading of the law? Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Josiah is cut to the heart. Josiah hears God's law being declared. And he is thoroughly convicted of his and the people's sin. His soul and spirit, to refer to the passage we were looking at last week in Hebrews, his soul and spirit are pierced by God's living and active words. He is brought low, he is humbled, he is full of repentance. And this is always the first response of any godly man or woman to the reading of God's word, to the reading of his law. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Repentance, humility, contrition marks this king. He knows that he is accountable to God He represents the people and he knows, as the covenant law is read out, that they have fallen very, very far short of God's standards. And then, being full of remorse and repentance, Josiah hungers to hear more from God's word. He doesn't stop there. He wants to know what God's word has to say to them today, how God's law applies to them today. He wants to know in particular if God, in his righteous wrath, will yet remember mercy. And so he sends his officials to this prophetess, Huldah. And he hears through Huldah, the prophetess, that the Lord will still judge the nation. The Lord that has threatened to bring judgment upon the nation because of the great evil of Manasseh, will still carry out that threat. He is faithful to his threats just as he is faithful to his promises. But he also hears that he himself, Josiah himself, will receive mercy. He hears that This disaster that God will bring upon the nation will not come in his day. Huldah's prophecy is a message both of wrath and of grace. It's a message of judgment, but of judgment delayed. But what is so very striking is that when Josiah hears this prophecy, this application of the word of God to the particular situation of Judah at that time, when he hears that the nation is going to be judged, but that he himself is going to be spared, he doesn't react by saying, well, at least all is going to be well in my days. At least I'm not going to suffer. 
Do you remember how Hezekiah, that other ideal king who measured up to the standard of David, reacted when he was told about the coming judgment? We're told in chapter 20 that he said, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days. But Josiah doesn't respond like that. There's no self-interest or sort of self-preservation about Josiah. Josiah reacts to this word of God, this word of wrath and grace, of judgment, but of judgment delayed, by initiating national renewal and national reformation. He gets on with obeying the Lord. And we'll think a bit more about that a little bit later on. But here we see very clearly the goodness, the sheer goodness of God to his people. Under his providential guidance, they find the book of the law, the treasure of God's word that they need to hear. And again, in God's very good and very kind providence, this book of the law is found in the days of just about the best king that Judah ever had. This king who responds to God's word just as he ought to, in repentance and in faith, And in obedience. And so begins a most remarkable reformation. And it seems to me, as as you reflect on church history, that a, a similar pattern is apparent in that reformation that we know, I suppose, far more about the 16th century reformation. There you had, in God's good providence, a discovery or a rediscovery of the word of God. What it really meant came the time of... The Renaissance, when there was this, this cry to return to the sources, to see what the manuscripts actually did say. You had a rediscovery of the truth. And that was combined, of course, with the raising up of key individuals, particularly Martin Luther. You needed a Luther to ignite the spark of reformation and all of that happened by God's good providence and I think that this should encourage you this evening brothers and sisters what God did in the days of Josiah and in the days of Luther he is able to do again today indeed this is what God is doing in other parts of the world today that perhaps we know little of but we hear little snippets for example about what is going on in Central Asia. We hear that from our missionary brother, Saeed. The great work that God is doing there as he builds his kingdom. Josiah and Luther are no longer with us, but God still is. And he continues to be at work by his providence, executing his perfect will. And who knows? Perhaps God will yet do, in days to come, a great work of reformation here in this country. So it's by God's goodness that reformation begins. But then the second thing that we learn here is that God's word lies right at the heart 
of Reformation. And this is what we see in the uh, uh, reforms that King Josiah institutes in chapter 23. There's a lot here. And I'll just run through the, the main, um, the main elements of Josiah's national, uh, reformation. I've picked out four main elements and I'll, I'll just do no more really than mention them. First of all, we have covenant renewal. Verses one to three. In those verses, we read about all the people gathering together at the house of the Lord. And there, when they're gathered, the words of the book of the covenant are read out by the king. And then the king leads the nation in making a covenant, in renewing a covenant with the Lord, committing them, them, committing them to walk in his ways and to obey his commandments. So what we see in these verses is a renewed commitment on the part of the king and on the part of the people with him to live in devotion to the Lord, to live for God's glory and honor. We have covenant renewal. And then secondly, and this takes up the the main portion of this chapter, we have the purifying of worship, verses 4 to 20. There we read about things being broken down, things being burned, things being crushed into dust, things being wiped out. There is this process of destruction, and that is always part of reformation. There needs to be a crucifying of that which is evil and idolatrous and wrong when there is true reformation. A dying to that which is sinful, a mortification of the flesh. And that is what we see happening in these verses. These verses portray what Dale Ralph Davis calls Josiah's demanassification program. His demanassification program. Everything associated with that most evil reign of King Manasseh is purged from the temple. The pagan vessels, verse 4. The pagan clergy, verse 5. The Asherah image, verse 6. The houses of the male cult prostitutes, verse 7, and so on and so forth. The temple is thoroughly cleansed. God's worship is completely purified. And then thirdly, a third aspect of this reformation is the reinstitution of the celebration of the Passover in verses 21 to 23. It seems as if the Passover had not been celebrated for centuries, or at least not in the way that it should have been. But now, under Josiah's direction, the people will again remember God's great act of redemption as they enjoy this annual feast. And then fourthly, we have what I've called the rejection of worldly practices. Verse 24, moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book. Here we have four crucial features of the Reformation that took place in the days of Josiah. And it seems to me that these are always four features of any true Reformation. You have a renewed commitment 
on the part of God's people to follow wholly after the Lord. You are our God and our King. We are committed to you just as you are committed to us. We covenant to do all that you ask of us by your grace. There is secondly the purification of the Lord's worship. We want to worship you just as you want us to worship you, not in any way that that we think is good or right, not according to the inventions of men. We want to do what you want us to do. This, I think, was the main impulse of the 16th century Reformation, to worship God according to the way God wanted to be worshipped. And then thirdly, the celebration of God's grace and redemption. That was what the Passover was, wasn't it? A celebration of all that God had done. Combined with all the activity and work of Reformation, there is this recognition that it all comes from God. That we are your people, O God, purely by your grace. You have redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. We will celebrate you. And there is a turning away from all worldliness, from all worldly practices, from all evil, from anything that is against the Lord, to give oneself in exclusive devotion to the Lord. Those features always mark true reformation, whether that be of an individual or of a church or of a whole nation. Commitment to the Lord, pure worship, celebration of God's redeeming grace, and a turning away from sin, and a turning after God. And what I want you to notice is how the word of God lies right at the heart of all of these marks of true reformation. The word of God is right there at the very center. It was after the word was read to the gathered assembly of God's people that Judah renewed its covenant with the Lord. They, all of them, the king included, all of them submit to the authority of God's word. And then the temple worship is purified in accordance with the law of the Lord. We must get rid of all of these abominations because they are violations of the word of God. And then the Passover is celebrated because the scriptures prescribe it. We must do what God tells us to do. And then Josiah puts away all the mediums and so on and so forth, so that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book of the law. Everything comes from the word of God. Everything is centered upon God's law. It was God's word that first unleashed the Reformation in Josiah's days, when the book of the law was, in God's goodness, rediscovered. And then it was the word of the God that sustained the whole process of reformation in the days of Josiah. The word of God lay right at the heart of all of the various aspects of reformation. The word of God always lies at the heart of all true reformation. And this is why it's so vital that it is the word of God, the Bible, the Bible read, the Bible preached, the Bible believed, the Bible loved, the Bible memorized, the Bible lived and done, that lies right at the heart of all that we do as a church. It must take center stage. And it must take center stage in your life. Only when it does, 
will God's people and you personally experience the joy of true reformation. But then the third lesson that we learn this evening is that God's glory is the goal of all reformation. It's all soli deo gloria. There was no king like Josiah before him or after him, we're told in verse 25. He was a great king. Under his rule, reformation swept through the nation. But then what do we read in verses 26 and 27? Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath. Still, the Lord was going to carry out judgment. In one sense, we might say that Josiah's reforms didn't do any good. God in his righteous wrath was still going to judge the nation. But what we need to remember is that Josiah knew that this was going to be the case. He'd been told by Holder, the prophetess, you'll be spared but judgment will still come. And yet, he still initiated this whole wonderful process of national reformation. Why? Why, when Josiah knew that it wasn't going to last, did he still, with all of his might, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, bring reformation to the land. Why? Simply because it was the right thing to do. There's no other explanation. Josiah did what he did because God commanded it. Because God was his king. You see, there is no pragmatism whatsoever in Josiah's reforms. Josiah did not say, I'll reform the nation, I'll sort out its worship, I'll get us to renew our covenant with the Lord, I'll reinstitute the Passover, I'll do all of these right and godly things so that God will do this for us and do that for us and do the other for us. No. Josiah did what he did simply because it was the right thing to do. And that is sufficient reason to do anything. You need no other reason. Josiah's reformation was based on principle, not on pragmatism. Which principle is that all things are to be done 
not for our glory or for our good or for our comfort or for our reputation, but solely for the glory of God. And who are Josiah's spiritual descendants today? Josiah's spiritual descendants today are all of those Christians who seek independence upon God's grace to worship him faithfully and to obey him with all their heart and to keep all of his commandments even though living in such a way may not resolve all of their problems or bring them success or take away their distress and pain. Josiah's spiritual descendants are those who do the right thing, come what may, simply because their chief desire is to please and glorify God. Are you a spiritual descendant of Josiah? Do you obey God simply because it's the right thing to do? Of course, none of us is perfect. And this is why it's so important for us to remember as we close that Josiah's great spiritual descendant was the Lord Jesus Christ. It's fascinating, actually. In, in 1 Kings chapter 13, Josiah is called a son to be born in the house of David, and he's named in 1 Kings 13. He's a son who will be born in the house of David, someone who will cleanse God's worship and, and reform God's people. And, and this is the prophecy that's alluded to, in case, you are run, in case you were wondering, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 23. Josiah fulfilled prophecy when he reformed the nation. But when Jesus came as the true son of David, well, Jesus carried out his own Josiah-like work of reformation, cleansing God's temple, purifying God's worship, renewing God's people. Jesus is the great reformer, not Josiah, not Luther, but Jesus. And Jesus did all that he did, even though he knew that it would end in his death, in apparent failure. But he did it because it was the right thing, because his goal was to glorify his Father. And Jesus did glorify his Father. And God then glorified him. 
raising him from the dead. Josiah was a great king. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our far, far greater king. And under Jesus is all-wise, all-powerful, all-good leadership. His church sometimes enjoys periods of wonderful reformation and revival. Praise the Lord when that happens. At other times... Just as much under Jesus' all-wise, all-powerful, and all-good leadership, the church suffers stagnation and decline. But here's the thing. We know that whatever the current state of Christ's church here on earth, Jesus is king. Jesus rules over us. And what this means is that one day, in the future, his church shall be perfectly and everlastingly reformed. We shall all be made glorious. That is where history is heading. Not to our final judgment and our curse, but to our glory because of who our king is who sacrificed himself for us and then rose in triumph over the grave. And so filled with that certain hope, may we, Josiah-like, may we, Jesus-like, pursue with all of our heart and soul and might godly reformation in ourselves, in the church, and in the nation, all to the praise and glory of our most majestic King, the Lord Jesus. Amen.